You're listening to Rosie on the House. There it is. That's your weekend wake-up call right there. We're in the outdoor living segment, hour of Rosie on the House with Romy and John Eisenhower. Before I turn the studio over to them, I, I just wanted to give you all a tease. You've heard me climb up on my soap boxes in the past. Jennifer has a ginormous soapbox she's going to get on several times today about roof rats. And I'm not talking about the furry little four-legged rats with a tail. I'm talking about roofing contractors that are scamming people left and right all across the state because of the storms that have moved in. And Jennifer is going to sing like a bird on top of her soapbox about this. If you have roof damage, do nothing until you hear Jennifer's segment. Let me turn it over to John and Romy. Wow. Makes you wonder. (laughs) You know, that same thing is true about tree services. You know, when you have all this storm damage across town and trees are down left and right, uh, a lot of these companies will just go door to door knocking on your, you know, looking for that uh, quick dollar and just be real, real careful, you know, working with uninsured companies. Should something happen on your property and they don't, and they're not properly insured, that will fall to the homeowner's insurance policy. And that could be a, um, a pretty serious. If there was a serious injury or a death on site, it's a very, very serious uh, legal matter. If you have a uninsured worker who gets da- gets hurt on your property and also you know you just have to just be really careful these guys will scam you we've had these heard stories of of tree services coming and knocking on your door and they get uh, you agree a price to do the work they get halfway done with the the project they have all the branches on the ground and they say hey my chainsaw is broken can you front me the money so i can run down to the store to get parts for my chainsaw and so they front them the entire cost of the project. The worker just takes off and is and never seen again. So be really careful. Those sort of things are happening. That's uh, that's where you just give them your grandpa's old handsaw. <laughs> Here you go. Finish. <laughs> <laughs> well, lots to talk about today. It's, uh, you know, in light of that storm, we've just been working some long hours this last week or two listening to that last broadcast about all the power outages and the um it's it's true of a lot of services who are out there but especially tree uh, tree services right now are doing a lot of mop up this is one of the biggest storms you know even it wasn't that intense it wasn't didn't seem to be that um even predicted and uh, but it was widespread uh sometimes we'll have a storm will hit a certain part of town and you just hear that that one community got hit real hard this is was amazing from Buckeye to Mesa, you know, to uh, way out north Phoenix, uh, you know, across town. We just had a lot of severe damage, m- very high winds. And, uh, yeah, the uh, uh, it's a time to, um, you know, d- take some precautions now as you're heading into these next couple of weeks. If you've got some larger trees, time to do, of course, some pruning. It's a little... Um, maybe do a little bit of additional staking if you've got some small, younger trees and make sure they're staked properly. And we'll talk a little bit about proper staking later in the broadcast. But the uh, 
you want to just be taking uh, uh, care to be sure that the trees that have the heaviest end weight are uh, are taken care of. Had a lot of damage with Palo Verdes and mesquites um, in the last few, uh, couple of weeks in this last round of storms. But even before the storms hit last week, we had quite a few trees that were failing, a lot of Palo Verdes and mesquites with uh, major branches breaking. And the reason that is is they get loaded up with seed pods. And the seed pods in, increase the, the end weight on a lot of those larger branches. You know, they when those are just blooming in March and, and April, soon those, those all those flowers on those mesquite and Palo Verde trees produce a seed pod that starts uh, getting larger and heavier. And the uh, those those branches sometimes can't take that little bit of extra weight. And then if you add to that a little bit of additional wind and then you have trees not just branches breaking, but entire tree failure where the root the root plate of the tree fails and the entire tree topples over. You see that a lot in native trees, mesquites and Palo Verde. And a big part of that is just the way we plant them. You walk into the desert and you see the mesquites and Palo Verdes and they are not trimmed up like shade trees like we put them in our yard. Sure. They're more bushes and shrubs, and they come to the ground, and they, they grow in a way that they can sustain that wind. Well, we plant them in desert scapes. We put them on drips. We don't water them deep enough. We trim them up, and we just we set them up to fail. Sure. Yeah, All, most of our desert trees are have a, a look like a large shrub in the landscape because the branches grow all the way to the ground, and wind, wind can't get up underneath them. But if we take that same tree that has that weeping growth habit and normally has branches that go all the way, drape all the way to the ground. And then we, we limit up and make it kind of create a beach umbrella. Well, it's no surprise that they don't stay upright when the winds come. And Yeah, it's a shame. Um, the native trees t- tend to do just fine, but it's ones that we've kind of worked on in our built landscapes that, that tend to have uh, most of the problems. We've got a volunteer Palo Verde that kicked off by the arena, and that thing outgrows anything. And it's it's not on any kind of irrigation. It doesn't get any kind of fertilizer. And it doesn't get any trimming. Just left to itself. It well, outperforms everything that we try and grow. <laughs> well, you know, the, the trees that have the most problems are tend to be the hybrids, the, the cultivars that the nursery industry has, has you know, developed these wonderful trees that grow pretty quickly and that's one of the reasons why they're so popular is is they um they achieve their landscape purpose fast they put on new growth quickly and but you have a tiger by the tail when you buy some of these hybrid um uh, new cultivars uh, the um, palo verdes and mesquites uh, as opposed to buying the natives you can buy the 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 uh some of the uh smaller more compact uh, tree species that are more sim- sim- more similar to our um, our native trees, and they but they grow more slowly. But that f- uh, they all also are safer. So if you do buy the the faster growing trees, and you and you have some of those in in the landscape, and I'm sure some of our listeners are nodding their heads. Yes, we have one of those tigers by the tail right now. One of those big trees that you never anticipated it would get so big and it would grow so fast. Um, you just have to be a little more aggressive in pruning them. We did a lot of repair work this week on several big Palo Verdes that uh, had some damage, and uh, 
Uh, we just concentrated on re- reducing the end weight. By the way, uh, a lot of people think that the the easiest, the best way to make their trees safe is to is to str- strip out the inside of the tree, and to start trimming the tree up from the bottom. But what that does is it lion tails the tree. It leaves a lion tail of heavy foliage out on the ends of the branches. But those branches become even more vulnerable because the force of the wind is collected out in that branch end and it flags in the wind and we get these a lot of branch breakage that way. The proper way to thin out a tree is to is to thin it out e- equally f- in t- in, along the entire length of all the branches. So you leave some foliage down low in the tree because that actually collects some of the force of the wind and delivers it to lower along the base of that branch where the diameter is greater and it can support that movement. And then you go out to the outer third of the canopy, which is often neglected in line tailing, and you do some thinning out in the outer third. That's the most critical part. And if you have an even distribution of foliage top to bottom and you've thinned out uh, the tree evenly um, across the entire canopy, it'll be a lot safer tree. It'll look more natural and it will uh, just be a, a, a safer tree uh, long-term. So we did a lot of that this week, a little restoration work, a little repair work. Took out a lot of trees, unfortunately. Had customers asking us, hey, can you save our tree? You know, maybe some of the listeners have some trees, and you're wondering, can I save it? Sometimes we do. You know, sometimes the tree's uh, just it's, it's leaned over, it's, it's, it's pulled out of the ground. And if it's, it's a younger tree, we can sometimes bring them back up, put them onto a cabling system and, uh, and uh, water them back in. Uh, we usually use some sort of a tool to kind of like the, the, the butt end of a shovel to kind of push the soil back in around the roots to, and, and with some water to help fill any air cavities that have formed when, it, when the tree came up and push that root system back down into the soil and then restake it. And sometimes you can have to leave it on that staking system for a year or two while it gets re- the roots get reestablished but and then of course trim the top of it again to take some of the weight out so it can take some pressure off that that uh that cabling system and we've had a lot of good success with those you know other times you just say you know it's too it's too difficult we had a big palo verde came up the other day and the owner wanted to take this it's a huge tree with a big you know two inch a two foot diameter trunk at the base the whole root plate came up. It was about 10 feet across. Well, we took the crane and we set it back up. But he he wanted to, to, to stake this huge tree. He wanted to leave the top in place. But interestingly, as we started to work around the base of the tree, we noticed that Palo Verde borers had been eating all the roots. And so that was... And those pro- are those big, fun, black-looking yeah, no, beetles that come out right, in the summertime. Right, but the, the grub is a big white grub about five to six inches in diameter, about the a diameter of your thumb, about five or six inches in length. And they eat and chew away at the roots of these Palo Verde trees. And that was the primary reason this tree fell, was that the root system was just being devoured by these boars. And then when the winds came, there was, there was no stability in the soil, and it went down. But I was glad we saw that because, you know, you want to be sure that you evaluate Palo Verdes very carefully before you try to salvage them because if um, there are bores in the soil that were responsible for the failure, they'll continue to—it it wouldn't be a tree that you could 
uh, ever see get reestablished. We're talking trees with ISA certified arborist John Eisenhower of Integrity Tree Service. You can too. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight. Rosie, for you, text to 411-923, or you can send an email if you need help with a plant or insect identification. Snap a picture and email it to info at rosieonthehouse.com. I've got a tiger by the tail that's plain to see. I won't be much when you get through with me. That's that's what the tree's singing when you come out with your clippers and your pruners and your saw. There won't be much left of me. (laughs) Yeah, we, uh... (laughs) I have to force myself to hear your voice in my head when I'm trimming. (laughs) Never take more than a third of the tree off. And I (laughs) I spend as much time looking at what piles on the ground and how big the tree is. Okay, have I I hit my third yet? (laughs) John said to justify every cut. You know, we. This whacks me in the head when I walk underneath it. It's coming off. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, getting back to the idea of of vigorous trees, you know, dosage of pruning is all dependent on tree species. Some trees only require maybe 5 or 10% of their foliage removed in, in, in any one growing season, and they do fine. Citrus is a good example. They don't like to be pruned, and they grow slowly. And they're, you know, for the most part, they can uh, get by with a pretty light uh, dosage of pruning every year. Your big, more vigorous trees like your mesquites, your palo verdes, your eucalyptus, your olives, your sumacs, and several other you know, more vigorous trees, can you can exceed that 25 to 30 percent in a growing season. In fact, you almost need to to be able to keep those trees under control, you know, the, to get to keep ahead of the pruning curve. And so... And and then because we're watering the trees as like we are all the time, um, you know that just adds to the situation with uh, those fast growing trees. If they're getting water every day, or or you know they're near a lawn, for instance, some of those big uh, hybrid trees will just go off the charts and become extremely large if they're getting daily watering. So yeah, so you can go beyond that thirty percent. I'll give you permission. You can uh, <laughs> exceed that. That, that guideline, but that is a guideline. You know, the, when we're taking the foliage off of a tree, we are compromising its health, its ability to create the, the energy reserves it needs to live. So every time you, you, you do make a pruning cut, be sure you, you have a good reason because you're taking off leaf material that the tree needs to, to live. And, and not only live, but believe it or not, just like people, trees get sunburnt too, and it's the bark that gets sunburnt, and the leaves are its sunscreen. That's right. Yeah, the the leaves are its primary means of of staying cool. And if we are exposing the the bark of our trees, especially the smooth bark trees like your Palo Verdes and your ash, your ash trees, yeah, and, oh, and, and citrus, these all those trees have very thin bark and and uh, they're very subject to sunburn. Uh, the The rule of thumb is that if if you if your citrus trees get two and a half to three hours of direct sunlight at any on any part of the bark. It will burn, uh, and and just to uh, dispel the the myth regarding the use of, of paint uh, as a sun as a sunblock, uh, paint is not a sunscreen. It it reduces the soil temperature if you put a light colored paint on the over the the bark of a of a tree like a citrus tree. It does reduce the surface temperature maybe a degree or two, 
So it could be that make that critical difference between the bark getting sunburned and or not. If you're right at that, you know, if if you're right at that two and a half to three hour uh, time frame for sun uh, exposure, but don't count on it as a as a sun protection. A lot of people will limb up the trees and and expose the bark to too much sun, and then think that they can just get a can of paint and paint it on, and you're you're all good. But that's not true. We have a lot of a lot of painted trees across town that are that are severely sunburned. So yeah. I, the first rule of thumb is to leave the branches as full and as low as you can on your citrus trees so they'll provide natural shade to the trunk. Um, Healthier uh, trunk means more nutrients back into the fruit from the roots sure, sure. after it's been photosynthesized but, but, down to the roots. Right, but <laughs> but if you do have reasons to, 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 to raise those branches up a little bit higher uh, and you're just— just enough so that you're getting filtered you know, sunlight to the bark throughout the day, that's not going to damage the bark either. If at some point as the sun moves across the sky, you're, getting, you're, you're never getting more than two and a half to three hours of direct sunlight on any one portion of the tree, then you're good. Kind of use that as a rule of thumb. Also, there is a good quality product that we use um, in painting our customers' trees that has a, um, uh, some UV protection protectant in, in the paint itself, which... Uh, gives a little bit better reflective quality. So there are some better qu- uh, quality paints out there de- um, specifically developed for um, for painting the trunks of your trees if you need if you need to have that done. You've got quite a list on your July uh, to-dos here. We haven't even hardly started uh, working through our talking points. Let's save our tree for after the news. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna highlight the Vitex today. Yeah. Uh, and talk about palms real quick. Yeah, the uh, this is your time to prune your California fan palms right after the 15th of July every year. Uh, your Mexican fan palms could have been done any time after the 15th of June, so it's a uh, 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 good time to, to do all your palms, all your fan palms, including the California fans. Um, also, the uh, uh, mesquites can be pruned now, as I was saying. Uh, the later the better for those trees, only because if you prune your mesquites early in the spring, by this time they're loaded up. So anytime you yeah, any of those more vigorous trees can handle a little bit of summer pruning, especially mesquites. Talking trees with John Eisenhower. Trees can't speak, but John Eisenhower speaks their language. Talking trees with Rosie on the house. All right, so apparently I, I cut you off before we were done with the sun burning. Well, I just wanted to encourage listeners that there's a couple other things you can do if you to protect your trees. Uh, paint is is the probably the least effective method of protecting the trunks of, the, of some of those thin bark trees. Uh, tree wrap is available. You can buy it, you know, commercially at a hardware store. It's just a white um, plastic wrap. We also um, provide a burlap wrap which also can be ordered online, but we provide it as a service to our customers too. And it, it's really nice. It's, a, it's a, burla, a roll of burlap six inches wide, and we just wrap it loosely around the trunks of the trees and tie it off at top and bottom, tie it off securely so the birds don't come and unravel it and take it all the way to their nest. But it's a, a really a, an effective way. And the burlap looks a little less um, uh, 
ugly in the landscape. A little more camouflage. Well, the white, yeah, just the white paint. In fact, the 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 paint I talked to you about, talked to you about, we that has that UV um, element in it, we UV protectant in it. Uh, it's it's a, a brown color, so it's a little more um, pleasing to the eye. And say when the burlap, the burlap is a little more attractive in the landscape. Um, also, the uh, you can also build small shade structures over, you know, actually drape a shade cloth over the top of your tree. If you've lost a branch, for instance, that opens up the canopy of one of your citrus trees or or a, an, any one of your trees, you can just take a piece of shade cloth and just tie it over the top of the tree, at least get it through the summer. And and then what we'll do is about, you know, end of uh, October, uh, take the shade cloth off because you want the sun to get in when the sun's a little lower in the sky and it's not the heat isn't as intense. Um, then you want the, the leaves to have a full sun in order to be able to fill back into those voids that were created by the broken branch. And then if you don't get quite the, the, the coverage of, of leaves during the winter season and uh, we turn the corner into the new year, you can always put the shade cloth back up for another season uh, until the, the, the tree's recovered. And John, help me out with my ficus tree because I've got that serious sunburn on the bark. Uh, the bark is completely peeled back. The interior is exposed. But one thing about that tree, it is gone to town. Yeah, I, I saw Gary sent me some pictures of his tree that had some pretty severe sunburn. But your more vigorous trees can compartmentalize that injury. You know, it's not the end of a tree. It's just wherever that bark is damaged, that's permanent damage, and the tree cannot conduct water and nutrients through the cambium uh, in at that location. So the tree then is you know has to do. Um, do all that work with the remaining portions of the cambium that's 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 unharmed. So it's not good for the tree to have sunburn, but the trees have a way of kind of translocating those water and nutrients by using the other parts of the of the um, the healthy parts of the tree. But um, in and if you've got a, a nice healthy tree like that ficus tree of Gary's, um, it just hardly misses a beat, and it's going to be fine. Can I talk about staking, Romy? Uh, well, let's talk about the tree of the month first before we get into staking. You All know, right. Every every month we talk about a different tree specifically, and for July you picked the true Vitex and me- as opposed to a fake Vitex. <laughs> well, I wanted to encourage everybody to get out a, a, a pencil, and I'll give you a minute to go grab something because I want to give you a, a website. If you're thinking about selecting a tree for to plant in your yard and can't really decide which one you want, I'm going to give you a website that I think is a real treasure um, uh, developed by the uh, Arizona Municipal Water Users Association. I'm going to give you that web, website in just a moment here. But from that list uh, that AMWA pr- um, provides is one of my favorite trees, and it's the Vitex agnus castus is the name of the, the tree. Or its common name is called a chaste tree or a monk's pepper tree. Those of you who are longtime listeners have heard me mention this tree in the past. <laughs> I love it because it is so versatile. And as I was admiring a few a few of them planted along a, a, a median on one of our, our road local roads here the other day, it occurred to me too that, that not only are they a stately um, kind of uh, bulletproof, durable tree, they're also it have no natural pests. You know, when there are qualifiers for for good 
quote, good trees that we recommend, highly recommended trees, we, there's several criteria we, we use. How subject are they to, to a blowover in, in storms? Are they, do they have a compact structure and, and strong natural branch architecture? So are they going to be durable? But also we ask ourselves, are, do they have a, you know, uh, some pest problems or disease issues which are common to the species? And this is one of those trees that is compact in form, beautiful to look at. Arch- branch architecture is great, um, but it also has no natural pests or, or disease issues. It's one of those kind of uh, – and it's, and it's, for the most part, very, very low maintenance. So I'm laughing at myself because you sent me content for the newsletter mm-hmm. that we send out by email on Thursdays with – Here's the lineup for Saturday and gives a listener opportunity to do a little bit of research and mm-hmm. uh, or at least know what topic's coming up. And I sent it to Jen, who finalized our thing and said, just you know, remind John that we're talking about the monk's pepper tree is what he had already picked for July when we put our mm-hmm. home maintenance calendar together, not a Vitex. And then it still came out and it said Vitex. I thought, man, he must really wanted to switch that bag because we've already gotten printing <laughs> thousands of calendars. We're talking about the monk's pepper tree. Well, it's the same thing. It's I didn't realize tree. that until you sorry. said that common name. I'm just sorry. Now. Yeah, I referred oh, to the man, there must be something really special about name. this Vitex that he's so sold that he can't yeah, wait. <laughs> it's the it's, same thing. Monk's pepper tree is a Vitex. Got it. Yeah, can I tell a little bit of the backstory with this tree? One of the it's kind of a I don't know if it's true or not, but the the story goes that uh, the chaste tree. Uh, chaste meaning sexually pure, um, is refers to the fact that the monks, uh, the other the other common name is a monk's pepper tree, that apparently the monks would use the seeds from the tree to brew a tea, that they claimed helped to control their libido. So hence the monk's pepper tree, or the chaste tree. As it's come to be known, is um, has that a really awesome name? Now I've heard everything. Well, now you've heard everything. well and you can only get that and, at Rosie on the house. Oh man, he's I not you. done. You can only get that at Rosie on the house. He's not done because it, it actually has the reverse effect. It's kind of like eating oysters, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, someone has said it, it. It may it may be that this was just a bad joke, you know, <laughs> on the monks. It was actually increasing their libido. I don't know. No, it's a. Uh, it's a, a really awesome tree. It's it's pretty short in size, maybe fifteen to twenty feet maximum height. Um, it's got gray green leaves, upright branch habit. It's not one not like our desert trees with a weeping growth habit. So if you want a nice shade tree that's not going to be hitting you in the face every day, that's a good choice for that reason. Has a, a delicate uh, a yellow bloom in the spring, and uh, it's um, it's just a cool tree all the way around. Now I'm going to give you that website. You're standing there ready with your, your pen in hand. Go to amwa.org. That's A-M-W-U-A dot O-R-G. A-M-W-U-A dot O-R-G. And g- click on their landscape tab, and it will, it will give you a, um, a selection of flowers, ground cover, shrubs, and trees that uh, the, Ameri- the Arizona Municipal Water Users Association has approved for being— um, uh, appropriate for uh, uh, desert landscapes. There are low water use plants that are 
uh, just really, really nice. And this is one of those trees that has made their their list. And for all the reasons I mentioned earlier, it's uh, an all-around excellent landscape tree. And it's not so overwhelming, you know, it's not going to be a tiger by the tail. This will be one of those trees that a little slower getting established in the landscape, but once it gets going, you'll be really happy. And as I said, low maintenance, which is... We just had Donna and Steve on three weeks ago, the Uh the fifth Saturday in June. They came in and we we talked about it. I mean, it's it's not perfect. I mean, nothing's out there is exactly perfect, but it, it is widely the authority except as the authority in desert landscape by j- any expert i know who Amba, you mean yeah just their resource and their guide sure. is and it's a treasure the standard the staple the well i, I the knew several back. of the individuals who were on the committee that, that kind of put their heads together to create that original document and it's gone through several iterations but what a, a uh, a great publication. What I like about it is if you go on that website, it gives you color photos, and it'll give you the bloom cycle, give you the color of the bloom, the season, uh, potential problems. The the uh, It rates the, the amount of litter. So there's all a lot of qualifiers on there that really helps you to make, um, really narrow your decision before you ever go to the nursery. Then you can print off those sheets, uh, take them with you to the nursery, then go have maybe three or four um, of your top choices, then go to the nursery and look at them in person and see what they look like, and you'll be well on your way to picking a good tree. You know, h- half of our problems with our trees are because of poor tree selection, trees that are wrong tree in the wrong place. And if you can get the tree selection right, it means uh, uh, happy uh, trees and happy homeowners, uh, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now where you, you don't have that tiger by the tail. You've got, um, you know, that smaller tree in the smaller location, those larger, more vigorous trees in a larger location where they can grow and and uh, achieve their full height and spread without unnecessary intervention. And then they have the watering by the numbers, which the only reason it's not more used by homeowners is because it makes you do some work. It's not a, <laughs> here's how much to water when. It makes you go through figuring out what type of soil you have and, you know, it and measuring your water output and yeah. right, so there, there's a little bit more work to do, which people don't want to take the time to do. But you follow those, and man, it's a really great guideline. It, it, it is, and your landscape—you you could tell uh, the difference from if the, there were two houses next to each other, and someone uses the guide, and someone doesn't. You you could really tell right at that June. What was it, June 25th, before the rains hit, after we had three weeks of triple digits? <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of which, you know, this this uh, change in the weather is so good for our plants. You know, even though it was a little oppressive when I walked out the door this morning, uh, our plants love this. They languish through May and June, waiting for that first hint of summer rain. But they, they love this. They really need it. Um, we've just... Uh, you know, our, our our pine trees, the larger trees, you know, we we are quite sure that the big problem we had with our pine trees was due to the fact that we had such a a, a dry uh, summer last summer. When we began all, ha- seeing all those symptoms develop in October of this last year, in 2017, we think it was due to the fact that we had such a dry winter in 2016 and summer in 2017. In fact, we had that really record heat in June of, of 2017. So we're, 
and as we were going through these last couple of months in May and June, I thought the same kind of pattern is in place with this <clears throat> this extreme heat in the early summer. And uh, we just our hope is that we can uh, get our full dose of rain. I know it's only eight inches. Well, if we get any rain this weekend, but, one of the best things to do is just drive with your windows down. And hit the desert flats and smell the creosote, and then just start climbing up go. to the pines and smell go. the ponderosa, and then gradually make your way back down. <laughs> the The aroma that comes out when the desert gets wet is priceless. Time for a correction. A correction? Yeah, small correction. Okay. I mentioned that the Vitex has a small yellow bloom. I was thinking of the Acacia Anura when I was picturing that in my mind. No, the Vitex has a dramatic, glorious, purple cone-shaped blossom about four to six inches in length. They're awesome. They're really, really cool. um, But no, it's got a beautiful uh, purple bloom and... uh, you, if you go to the, the AMWA website, you should be able to see that, uh, see some pictures online that kind of uh, show that showcase that that incredible blossom. So, that, and that's not a color you see much in the desert naturally. A little bit on the ironwoods kind of can have a purple tint when they bloom, but yeah, you, that's not something that yeah, our native really, landscape has a lot of. Yeah, and something to consider too is that. Um, the vitex is a deciduous tree. It will lose leaves in the in the winter. But unlike some trees like the desert willow that look pretty ghostly and and I I would I would go so far as to say ugly. Um <laughs> the uh the vitex is kind of cool because it loses its leaves but th- those cone-shaped um blooms uh become a cone-shaped ornament. And they're upright like a like a small little Christmas tree, and they are all over the tree. So all during the winter, you have this this empty canopy, but you have these little cone shaped uh, blossom or cone shaped uh, ornaments all over the tree for the entire winter. So at least you've got something kind of um, um, sculptural for the yard during the off season. And then of course, if you want to grab one of those little cones and 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 you can just pull all the they're 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 made of all the little seeds that you brew the that, that that you use to brew the tea. You can just grab a handful of those seeds and and pull them off and uh yeah, so it's a one of those those multi-purpose trees that um that you don't find too often around the landscape. That could be a new Christmas tradition with those seeds and the tea. There you go. <laughs> Maybe so. An interesting one. <laughs> So, I won't say anything about the season to be jolly and all that. Let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about <laughs> staking trees before we run out of time. I'm glad you found that funny. <laughs> yeah, we are just a, a word about staking trees. You know, in an emergency, you do whatever you need to do to keep your tree upright or to pull it back up. Um and to get ready for a, a, a storm. But if you're going to take some time to do this well, you usually want to stake a tree, a smaller tree, between a couple of stakes. If you're using a, a two- or three-inch diameter lodgepole stake, you usually have to rent a, a pole pounder 
um, or you'll have to get up on a ladder and use a hammer or a sledgehammer to pound them into place. And when the ground is wet in this kind of monsoon cycle, the ground's pretty soft, so that may not be that hard to do. Anyway, get the the stakes in, uh, drive them in deep enough so that they're going to hold you know hold steady, and then you'll want to suspend the tree between some sort of a soft tie material. We use a, a, a one-inch nylon webbing, which you can buy at a local uh, store uh, like REI, and and that is a little softer on the trunk of the tree. And then you just tie the, the straps, you know, and, and you suspend the tree between um, the two poles. But you don't want to you don't want to tie it so tightly that a tree is is a is restricted from movement at all. Sometimes people will t- strap a tree down so darn tight. By the way, you don't want those uh, to put the the stake in right next to the trunk of the tree, uh, unless of course you're it's it's very um, at risk of falling over and you and you're desperate to kind of hold it in place. But um, for a short period of time until you get through the monsoon, but you want to try to allow some movement on the staking system because the idea is for the, you to be able to eventually wean the tree off the staking system. So the staking system serves as a bit as a fail safe, as just a prevent preventing the tree from catastrophic failure and falling over. But you want it, you know, tight enough to hold it upright and keep it secure, but not so tight that it can't move because you want it to by the by this time next year when you're taking the staking system off, if it's been allowed to move a little bit on the staking system, it'll, be, it'll send a message to the roots to get active in the soil and begin to anchor the tree into the native soil. And by this time next year, if, if it's been moving adequately, you'll be able to pull those stakes off and the tree will be on its own. And that's my story, and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> <laughs> Now you had one more thing on here on on eucalyptus. Yeah, I, did, I wanted to, to mention that. Season? Yeah, Sarah Maitland, our plant healthcare director, um, uh, reminded me that that Roy Maxi, our certified arborist, uh, did some soil and tissue sampling um, of some uh, eucalyptus trees and found that they do have some n- nutrient problems that are very treatable. Um, if you have eucalyptus trees that are suffering from uh, what appear to be some some de- nutrient deficiencies with color issues, give us a call. We've got some great treatments to get those looking green and beautiful again. iTreeService.com. John Eisenhower, thank you for your time this Saturday morning on the Unstumpable Hour. <laughs> See ya.